really good songs, huh? Just before I jump into my comments uh, today, my sermon, um, just want to reiterate a couple of things. Uh, really good to have Alicia here today and to hear about the Nehemiah Center. Just a comment to what we've heard. Do you understand the impact that our giving has had through the Nehemiah Center now for many, many years? You know, you can hear about various programs, but they all filter down into the transformation of people's lives, getting pastors on the right page, teaching them how to be healthy, to lead healthy churches, incredibly important. And then outreach, um, sharing Christ, sharing faith in Jesus, but also helping people to develop this, we heard, biblical worldview so that they can live as part of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I was really struck by the similarities between what's going on here and what's going on there. And uh, a good number of years ago now, we just decided to align with the Nehemiah Center uh, after many, many years in Nicaragua and just say, hey, these are the people we're going to entrust with, uh, uh, with uh, a lot of money, quite frankly, that you give, uh, that they might really work hard uh, on the ground, knowing the culture in a way that we didn't, and we came to realize to make uh, a specific and, and significant difference. So where, where is Alicia? Just thank you for what you do. We're, we're really, really glad to support the Nehemiah Center, and we're, we're convinced that it's, it's the way to go. We send teams. We don't build buildings anymore. You know, we built, what, five or six schools, and we did so many different things. Uh, that team now raises uh, a lot of money uh, to support uh, our work in Nehemiah, uh, uh, Nehemiah Center uh, and otherwise throughout the year. And, um, and then they go, and they love the people, and they build relationship with people. So I would just like to reiterate, if you're sensing at all the call of God to go to Nicaragua this year, um, could you just step out and do it? I know a lot of you say, oh, someday I'm going to go. But we have ministry there, and it's not just giving. That's a big deal. <laughs> but we get to love those people and form a relationship with them. And, you know, we do sponsor two schools in an ongoing fashion, one in particular, and we know and we love those people. And it's as we go and it's as we build relationship, church to church, school, and, and to school, uh, that we really believe God does some wonderful things, not only in the lives of those people, but in the lives of the people who go from IPC. So think seriously about it, would you? If, you, if you've gone before, think about going again. If you have never gone, I know it's risky. It, it seems like a big step for a lot of people, but uh, God will enable and strengthen you through it. Um, one other thing that I'm I just wanted to comment on that, I, that hasn't been commented on, and we've had some significant discussions, but... Normally, as many of you who have been here for a while know, we go to two services again next Sunday after the Labor Day weekend. We're going to stick with one again. All right? Now, this is going to be all over social media, and you're going to hear about it that way. Uh, but just start spreading the news, if you would, and, uh, and, and remember this for next Sunday, 10 o'clock, and we're going to stay at that point until we fill this place up to that point where we feel that's, we need that second service. The Vision Series is coming. Carl has mentioned it uh, today, and that's a big deal for our church. Your elders... Uh, have worked on this for over a year in a significant and prayerful and focused way and we're excited about, about what the next chapter of IPC is going to look like and I get to spend a bunch of Sundays sharing that with you. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be awesome. I love that kind of preaching uh, and, and, and dynamic. But um, it's going to be a really cool thing for us to likely, unless we get too big too quickly, <laughs> as people again return and, and uh, get engaged uh, more regularly in, in Sunday worship than happens over the summer. Our numbers go down, as you know. But, uh, you know, to be together as a congregation, to hear that leading that God has given to the elders and, 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 and to share from Scripture and to, 
just dream big dreams about what God, God, what God can do through us over these next years. So uh, 10 o'clock next Sunday, and uh, we'll all be together. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Gracious God, it's an incredible thing to be caught up in the work that you are doing in this world. As Carl has said, you know, we do so much here in our county and in our, in our area, but God, we, we want to have international impact, and we believe through the Nehemiah Center that that impact is happening, that lives are changing, that church communities are being transformed, that communities at large are being made new simply because, God, your spirit is moving. And we would pray for the Nehemiah Center. We ask that you bless them, every single one of those people who work so hard uh, in this mission. And we pray, Lord, as we give and as our team forms again and as it goes uh, next year, that, Lord, your spirit will move in a mighty way and that your kingdom will come in power, whether it be here through this church and its local ministry, whether it be through our influence and the work of the Nehemiah Center uh, in a distant land. God, um, let the kingdom come. Let people see and understand the need of Christ for salvation and then the significance of what it means to follow him uh, in, in, in life. So God bless us now as we look into this, uh, this uh, precious book that you have given to us uh, as we think about the Holy Spirit. Uh, for a last time, Lord, in a specific way, we just pray you'll speak. I pray for the people gathered here that they will know that they have heard from God as they leave in just a little while. So Spirit, come, we pray, and do your work in us transform us, change us, even here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to ask a question this morning, as I, some, I guess I do quite frequently as I begin my talks, but do you ever look at yourself and not like what you see? <laughs> I don't mean standing in the mirror and looking at yourself physically. <laughs> That's one way of doing it, and sometimes I do, and I go, oh boy, you know. I, I'm not talking about a physical appearance. I'm talking about what's inside and who you are. You know, something happens, and, and you think about it afterwards, you go, oh, man. And you see patterns, and you see practices or habits, if you would, and, and you feel badly about it. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> I wish it wasn't like that. There are some people who don't f function that way. There's some people who look at themselves and go, oh, man, that's pretty good. I like what I see. But in my experience, that's not how most people are. In my experience, a lot of people have those moments, at least in time, when they look at themselves and they wish they were different than they are. They wish somehow they could change um, and, and grow and move beyond maybe what just happened to something else. I asked the question because this morning in this last sermon in the series on the Holy Spirit, um, which we've engaged in over the course of the summer in, in various uh, sermons, we're going to look at something that the Spirit of God does. He's intentional about it. It, it, it is his job. It is, it is his focus. And that focus is, is the process of changing us. If you are in Christ, it is the job of the Spirit of God to change you. Here we are on Labor Day weekend, right? Uh, this is God's labor in part. It's his purpose. It's his plan. It is his intention to take you from where you are now to where he wants you to be. To transform you is the biblical word. You know, the, the, the word underlying this is, is a Greek word, which, uh, of course, was part of the formation of the New Testament. It was, it was used, and it gives us the English word metamorphosis. It's this idea that you probably heard about a, about a caterpillar, sometimes not that attractive, but goes into that cocoon, and after a period of time, comes out an absolutely beautiful butterfly. Can you think of a monarch? You ever look at a, you know, they 
unfortunately have to die before you can really look at them, but you pick them up in your hand. Happened to, to us on holidays. It's a beautiful thing. It's a creation of God. And it, 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 it becomes that beautiful, remarkable creation of God because it's gone through this process of, of metamorphosizing, is that a word? To become what it was intended to be. That's you. And some of you probably are at different levels of, of transformation. I know all of us are. But God has an intention for you. God has a desire for you. And God, by his spirit, is very focused on making you new. Biblical phrase. Changing you, transforming you into the person that he intends you to be. Talk about vision for a church. God has a vision for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? That that is a, that a preoccupation of God Almighty. God's got the whole world to take care of. God's got the universe to take care of. But he's also got you to take care of. And I think that's the most incredible and remarkable fact that we can dwell upon. I want to read Romans 8, 29 to you. Romans 8, 28 is a really famous verse that we often refer to in the Christian church, of course. But this is the verse which follows. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be, to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Look at that little phrase. Why did he choose us to, that we might be conformed to the image of his son, that we might become like Jesus? Now, wives, can you imagine if your husband became like Jesus? Yeah, you're laughing, right? It's like, yeah, take a miracle. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> kind and gracious and gentle and compassionate ready to talk to you. <laughs> Husbands, can you imagine if your wives became like Jesus? <laughs> no laughter there. <laughs> they all know better, I'm telling you right now. Can you imagine, parents, if your kids became like Jesus, even those little teenagers are running around causing havoc, right? Kids, can you imagine if your parents became like him? Here's the big question, though. Can you imagine if you became like him? so transformed in the image of Christ that literally your mind, your heart, your desires, your lifestyle was just caught up in a kind of a parallel reality with who Jesus was and is. I want to tell you, God is intent about this. It is his intention. It is, it is his purpose to change you to become like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that just blows me away. It's an awesome, awesome reality. Bible's really clear. We all start, start you know, w with a lot of need for transformation. I probably don't need to tell you that. <laughs> I still, I need it. 58, I've been a Christian since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, they used to say. Who says that anymore? Um, but we all need it. You know, we've got this fallen nature. We're born with it, right? You know, which predisposes us to being more proud than humble, self-serving self than, than, than self-giving. It, it takes us to that place where selfishness is kind of wired into our being and we look out for ourselves. Number one, we're more unloving at times than loving. You know, sometimes we're more critical than encouraging, more, more, more struggling with our emotional baggage than healthy and whole. And what God does, note the verse. He says, you know, I love that one. And I love that one, and I love that one, and I love that one. And I'm going to intervene in their lives, and I'm going to make them mine, and I'm going to change them into the vision that I have for them. That's you, if you're his. 
you've come to faith in Jesus, if you've given him your life, there's this power at work in you to make you <clears throat> new in Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, just before I talk about some of the ways that this happens, the way God intentionally engages your life, um, I want to tell you, very often we as human beings do what is normal for us again, is that when we look at ourselves and we don't like what we see, we think really it's my job to make change here. It's my job to mature. It's my job to grow in faith or otherwise. It's my job to move ahead beyond the bad habits or the destructive ways. It's almost like we stand back and we see ourselves independent from God and we say, I'm going to take care of this deal. Some of us do. But I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Christ and if you love him and if the Spirit of God dwells in you, first and foremost, it's not up to you to change you. As a matter of fact, you, you can do a little bit, you can manage things in a certain fashion, but you will never change in the way that God will change you. you. You don't have the capacity to accomplish the thing that God wishes to accomplish in you, but God does. Get that right. It, it, it is his challenge, it is his work, it is his focus, it is his intention, and he has the capacity by the power of his spirit to make you new, to take you from where you are now to where he wants you to be. Awesome, awesome stuff. How does he do this? This first thing that I'm going to tell you won't surprise you, but I want you to dwell on it, and I want you to process it. The first thing God does by His Spirit to change us is through teaching us what is true. Teaching us what is true. Um, might sound a little bland, but it's absolutely central to this teaching. John 16, verses 12 and 13 say this. I have much more to say to you. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples before He goes to the cross. More than you can now bear. Isn't that interesting? But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak in his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Look at that phrase again, my friends. He, the spirit of God, will guide you into all truth. There is a process of us moving from, from not knowing what is true to knowing what is true. And it is the spirit of God that enlightens our minds that we might grasp it so that it might transform our souls and our lives. You know, we start, if you would, this in life, and this verse reflects the dynamic of it. We start needing to be transformed in our understanding of what we believe, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world, what we believe about God. I still need more transformation in my mind, and so do you. It's this ongoing journey, but it is through coming to know what is true that we are made new. We are changed. We are transformed. Famous verse, Romans 12, 2. I know a favorite of some of yours. It is of, my, of myself personally. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. There it is, by the renewing of your mind. How does it happen? It's the renewing of the mind. It is thinking differently. It is coming to believe something other than what we naturally think. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now think about this. The suggestion here in this verse is that much of what we believe we believe because the world has taught, it, it is, taught us that it is true. But that much of what we believe is actually faulty. There's a difference between what the truth of the world, the truth that is prominent, small t, the, what people believe to be true in the world, and the actual truth of God that comes to us through the scripture. And what we have to, 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 to have is the spirit beginning to work in us, to change us in our minds so that everything flows from that. Here's an example. You know, the world thinks I would say to suggest to you wrongly about God. I think it believes something that's faulty, if you would. 
You know, the world believes, and I think many people think this way, that God is a demanding and critical and, and judging character who somehow is like a grandfather sitting on a throne and he's angry. That's nonsense, biblically speaking. Because the Bible tells us that the truth of God that it is that he is loving and that he is kind and that he is gracious. And we, every single one of us, need the enlightenment of our minds to believe this reality. And it happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. There needs to be that time when God's Spirit works in our minds at a deep level. And he, and, and he, and he, and he gets rid of that old faulty thinking and he brings in something new. You see, when we think God is critical and angry and judgmental and you know, ready to punish, we run away from him. And there needs to be a moment in time when the Spirit of God works and he says, no, God's not like that. He's this loving, gracious God. He is the, 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 the father of the prodigal son. And it's only when we start to think of God differently that, we start, that, that then we start to move toward him and into his embrace. What do you believe about God? Another, another reality, so many people in this world think, you know what, um, thinking of heaven, for example, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, you know, basically I live a good life. And when I stand before God, he's going to weigh the good works and the bad works, and as long as I do a whole lot more good things than I do bad things, I'm going to get into his heaven. And biblically, that's nonsense. It's faulty thinking. It's believing a lie. And the Bible says if you have every good work in the world except one little sin, you're not getting into that heaven because God is a holy God and he is a righteous God. And you need forgiven for that one sin. And you got to face the fact, the reality is that we all commit a lot of sins. And the only way into relationship with God and the only way into his heaven is through the forgiveness that we find through the person of Jesus based on his work on the cross. And when we come to understand that truth, everything changes. And as we start to think differently about God, and as we start to believe and em embrace the things that the Scripture opens our minds to about Jesus, and we find forgiveness, and we recognize ourselves as sinners needing forgiveness, and we, and we take hold of it, all of a sudden we're brought into this thing the Bible calls salvation. And we're in intimate, connected union with God, His child. As we sang today, that old Keith Green song, who remembers Keith Green? It take you all back a lot of years, all us old fogies. People going, like, who's Keith Green? I don't have a clue. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Oh, what a song. That's the reality in which we live when we come to understand truth. And it's the work of the Spirit. He changes our minds, and he causes us to believe in the things of God as are revealed through Scripture. And then we come into this experience of salvation, this relationship with God, this acceptance that we take hold of through Christ, and then God begins to work in the deeper beliefs of our lives. You know, there are core beliefs in our lives, deep beliefs uh, that we hold that really determine how we live our lives, not so much the things we think. That there, there's just stuff deep down. You know, some people say, you know what, I'm not very lovable. Some people think that without necessarily knowing it until the Spirit of God comes and he said, no, no, you're lovable because God loves you. And he convinces us that we are loved by God. And if we're loved by God, guess what? We are lovable. And, th and there are people who say, well, I don't, I'm not really that valuable. I'm not that significant until the Spirit of God at some point in time opens our minds and said, you are, in you are incredibly valuable because you are precious to God. And I want to tell you, that will change a life. Has it happened to you? See, so many things here are, 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 are so significant. You know, 
If you don't think you're valuable, you're going to give yourself to trying to prove yourself to God and prove yourself to the world and even prove yourself to yourself. You know? And, 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 and some people like I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I've told you that before. It used to, it used to control my life. I had to be perfect. You know, but people are perfectionists because they think they need to be in order to be acceptable. I have to live in a certain fashion in order to be acceptable to others and even to me until the Spirit of God comes and says, Chris, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect in order to be accepted. You are accepted. And you are valuable. You don't need to try hard. You know, the other uh, portion of my history is workaholism, you know work like a maniac, overextend. Why do people engage in workaholism? Because they're trying to prove something. Look at me. I'm okay. And whether it's somebody looking at me or whether it's me trying to prove my value to myself, I got to do something in order to, to be acceptable. But God accepts us as we are. My friends, it is the Spirit of God who teaches us and convinces us that we are valued, that we are accepted, that we are loved by God. And I want to tell you, when those things settle into a person's being, it changes their lives. It changes their lives. Um, second thing the Holy Spirit does is to, <laughs> you're going to love this one, he convicts us of sin. And you go, oh good, I love to hear that. I love to sin and then feel lousy about it afterwards. It's called guilt. Anybody here love guilt? You know, let me see those hands. doesn't happen, right? I want to take a minute with you, and I want to help you think differently about this ministry of God in our lives. Listen to John 16, verses 8 to 11. It says this. Did they give you one, that one, guys? Here we go. When he comes, he, the Spirit of God, will prove the world to be in, uh, in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit's task in our lives is to convict us of sin. Now, I want to say this to you this morning. Even though guilt is not one of those things that we enjoy, even though feeling guilty about things we have done is not something that we want to celebrate and jump up and down about, I want to tell you this ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest blessings of God in our lives. It just is. Because when the Spirit of God convicts us of something we have done wrong, especially those things that, which become habitual, and, 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 and he points them out to us, it then enables us to see what needs to change in us. And, and, and the, he then enables us to move beyond those dynamics through simple repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 to 11. Paul writing, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, he has sent a previous letter and these people have felt, have felt very convicted. I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, and, but only for a little while, note that. Yet now I am happy because you were made, so, uh, because you were made sorry, but not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. There it is, the conviction. And so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Now, this is what getting conviction right is about. 
What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself, yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Here's the deal, my friends. When the Holy Spirit breaks into our lives, and it often happens, it always happens to the ministry of the Spirit in the Word of God. He, he convicts us of sin, but I want to tell you there's an incredible difference between a guilt that is destructive and, and self-punishing, and, and we get stuck in it, and we sometimes wallow there. That's not what God wants for us. There's a huge difference between that and, and a guilt which the, the Spirit of God brings into, into our lives, which drives us back to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, where we receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, where our intimacy with the Lord uh, is reestablished and where we are changed. One is a curse, the other is a, bl a blessing. And we desperately need this ministry of God in us. You see, the Holy Spirit is gentle and he is gracious in what he does. He doesn't convict us of all of our sins all at once. Can you imagine? It'd be like overwhelming. Oh, dear. Knock you over almost. But one after the other in his gentle, loving, gracious way, the Spirit of God comes and he said, Chris, you got to deal with this one. Chris, you got to deal with this one. And as we deal with it, as we recognize it, as we repent of it, we are then enabled by the power and the grace of God to move beyond it. And we are set free from the power of sin in our lives. And we are changed. You know those older, really godly people in your life? Can you kind of picture one at the moment? People who have lived their lives in Christ and, and have been transformed. They were once the caterpillar, now they're the beautiful butterfly in their spirit. You know how they got to where they are? One step at a time. One experience of conviction and of repentance at a time, and then another, and then another, and then another. And in the end, they end up looking like Jesus, conformed to the image of God's Son. Do you see it? Do you see how incredibly beautiful that thing is and how incredibly important the conviction of sin is in our lives it's a ministry of God's spirit for which we must be incredibly thankful third thing a spirit does is lead us into and through difficulty and heartache I, I'm, I'm saying this differently now than I did 10 years ago he leads us into and through difficulty and heartache Listen, let me read that Romans 8 28 passage and I'm going to tack on Romans 29 because obviously they share a similar context says this. And we know that in all things, all things, even those miserable, painful times when we suffer, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You, you see how this is qualified. This isn't for everyone. This is for those, can we go back a second? This is for those who love God and it is for those who have been called according to the purpose of God. It is for those who are in Christ. Next verse. Verse 29 again, for those God foreknew, and this is in the context of all those things, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Heartache, painful experiences, suffering produces the image of Christ in us. Oh boy, oh boy. My friends, I want to tell you, we struggle and, and we suffer for various reasons in our lives. Sometimes it's our own foolishness that causes us to act in such a fashion that produces hurt. Sometimes it's the work of our enemy, the devil, in our lives, and we're harmed. Sometimes it's just because we live in this fallen world and we get sick, and it's awful. 
and we die, which we all will unless Christ comes again. But without these times of struggle and heartache, much of the change that we desperately need would never happen. You know that? Five years ago, and if you've been here around, around this church for any length of time, you'll know that I burned out. You know, the burnout experience that people have didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of years of too much giving, that workaholism and the perfectionism and all my stuff. Not enough self-care. I didn't know how to do it. At a deep level, didn't value myself enough to say, Chris, hey, you're worthy of care too. That was my stuff. Worst experience of my life. Incredibly painful and difficult. Physical depletion because I lived on adrenaline too long. After a while, you can't live on that anymore. Serotonin levels that, you know, drop dramatically. Um, empty emotionally with nothing left to give. The hopelessness of depression. The whole thing. And I was blessed, as many of you will remember, by a long sabbatical by the elders of this church to recover, essentially, from that. But I want to tell you, in those months, God worked profoundly at the deep level in my life. And the Spirit of God revealed truth to me through this book, which changed me in a way nothing else ever had. And I want to tell you in a way that nothing else could. It was a remarkable, remarkable time. You know, after the fact, I blamed some people for the circumstances which led to me hitting, you know, that brick wall of burnout. And I realized that now was, was more of a symptom of what I was going through than reality. And it took me some time to figure out, you know, those folks weren't responsible for what happened to me. Ultimately, it was God who led me directly into this thing called burnout. That awful time so that in and through it, he could make me new. Transform my life bring truth to replace faulty thinking, change my belief about myself, about this world, about God even. He changed core beliefs in Chris Little that he could only access through, and I use this word thoughtfully, carefully, through suffering. You see, truth revealed at a deep level transforms a human being. And I don't really like the reality. I wish it wasn't so. I wish I, we didn't live in a fallen world where evil has had such profound effect in people's lives. But some change only happens in and through an experience of deep pain. There was a time I thought I'd never thank God for those days. And I told him that. <laughs> but now I'll look back on it and I say, thank you, God, for my burnout because it changed me. It transformed me from what I was to what God was calling me to become. I want to I conclude with, with a, a final reflection with you about what we can do with this, what you can do with it. Um, God is in the business of transformation. He is intentional. He's in the, about changing you and me. It's his heart's desire to make us like his son. And I want to ask you this question very simply. Will you cooperate with the Spirit of God as he works in your life? That's a big question based on what I've said. Will you take this book and will you study it and will you learn it? Will you expose to yourself to the truth of Scripture that the Spirit of God might bring it to life and allow it to penetrate, as Hebrews says, from the, the head to the heart? Because when that happens, it is then we are changed. Will you make the Word of God an incredible priority in your life so as to cooperate with the Spirit of God so that you might become what God is calling you to be? Will you prioritize worship? Because here, Scripture is central to what we do, right? 
Will you do that? Will you take this book on a daily basis and will you open it up and will you encounter the Lord in it and will you give that opportunity for the Word of God to, to take hold in your life by the ministry of the Spirit of God so that you are made new? So many Christians don't bother. I'm not kidding you. I've, I've seen the stats. I'm going to share more, more of them with you later this fall. There are 700 in the United States. I'm sorry, it's the stat that I have. Daily readers of Scripture who, which are disappearing every day in the United States of America, people who read the Scripture every day. It's, it's plummeting the number of people who study Scripture and the number of people who know Scripture. Well, you know, I talked to one of those, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but talked to one of those older, really godly people that I look to as an example of Christ-likeness, one who has been transformed into the image of Christ. And this person said to me not that long ago, I do not leave my home without spending time with the Lord Jesus in his word and in prayer. Wow. No wonder that person is one of those people to me. Will you do it? You know, a lot of people, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to spend in fellowship with Jesus. I don't have time to give the Holy Spirit that opportunity to transform. That's nonsense. That's not true. And I, it might, this might sound a little harsh. If you actually think in those terms, what it means is that you prioritize other things and not this book and not the ministry of the Spirit of God in your life. Change your priorities. Get focused on, on this book because it is in this book and through this book, book that the Spirit of God transforms us. Make it a priority. Give yourself to that reality. Number one. Number two, when you are convicted of sin, for all I know it's happening right now, it has happened as I have spoken. It's the ministry of the Spirit, and if He's chosen to convict you of sin, whether it be now or whether it be in a week from now or in a month from now, what will you do with that conviction? You know, it's possible that, oh, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go have fun with my friends, or I'm going to throw myself into my work. I'm going to run away from the ministry of God in my life. Or you can turn toward it, and you can repent, which is what we're called to, and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for what I have done. I recognize the mistake I have made, and I invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to come and strengthen me and empower me to, to move beyond this thing of, uh, uh, that you have convicted me of. You see the possibilities? We can cooperate with the Spirit of God as He makes us aware of those areas of sin that have taken hold in our lives. I encourage you to. I encourage you to not only embrace that, but to celebrate it as a blessing of God. And lastly, when those times of suffering come, will you understand that God is in them? Will you, will, will you just hold on to the fact that God has led you into this and that he's got a purpose for you and the purpose is transformation? Will you believe in, with all of your heart that he will be with you and that he will take you through it? Will you patiently and quietly trust him to do the work that only he is able to do in your soul while you experience your pain? Will you respond to your suffering in faith and in deep trust that God is at work in your life. You know, the, the Lord is in the process of transforming us whether we cooperate or not, but I want to tell you if we'll step in, my goodness, what work he will do. He will take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. We will be made new. 
we will end up looking like Jesus. Someday it's going to happen in heaven, right? I just want as much of that as I can take hold of here and now for the glory of God and for my well-being, quite frankly. What a blessing it is to know this ministry in our lives. My friends, what will you do? What will you do when the Spirit of God works in these ways? I pray that you'll say, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit come in power. Reveal to me your truth. Convict me of my sin. Sustain me through my suffering and make me new. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, um, oh, what you want to do in us. How you want to make us new. God, we just celebrate the fact that you have come to us in Christ. That Jesus has died on the cross so that we could be made yours. So that you could take hold of our lives in a significant way form a relationship with us so that we can believe in you and find forgiveness and then be in that place where Holy Spirit you can do your work in us God I pray for all gathered here today those here who claim the name of Christ for those who have given their lives to the Lord Jesus by faith who have stepped into a relationship with you and Holy Spirit we pray we pray together in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you will engage us in this transforming process. It's not always fun, but Lord, the, the vision, the outcome, the potential is so remarkable. So Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Move in our lives. Minister to us. We open our lives to you so that in the end we might be transformed into the image of Christ. We welcome you. We welcome your ministry. And we ask you to change us to transform us, to make us new. And our God, this we pray in the name, in the precious name, and in the powerful name of Jesus.